That was great. Uh, welcome to Waypoint. We uh, took a break last week to honor our seniors. I love that service. I hope you're here. Uh, but we've been doing a series that that song could have easily been about. Uh, Israel is in slavery in Egypt, and God comes to them and is trying to explain to them, I know your pain, I know your sadness, I know where you're at. If you'll just hold my hand, if you'll trust me, I can lead you out of here. I can, I can be a part of what makes you whole again. And they hesitate. Initially, you might think they hesitate because they're confused. Uh, God gives Moses some signs, some miracles to do, and the way he sets it up, you almost think that maybe these things are just hard to understand. Look, listen to what this says in verse 8 of chapter 4 of Exodus. It says, Now the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, then they may believe the second. And he goes on to say, If they don't believe the second, then show them the third, and maybe they'll believe that one. It's as if these signs might be really difficult to understand, and that's why they're not willing to trust God. But as we've been doing this, what we've tried to help you understand is what God was communicating to Israel is that I see you. I see everything about you. We've been working backwards along these signs. The water turned to blood. I know your babies have been thrown in the Nile. I know there's blood in the water. Your hurts that are hidden from the world, I know about. I'm aware of it. And I can come to your rescue. Pretty easy to understand. The second sign we looked at had to do with their stillborn babies, and it was attached to leprosy, and that might be a leap for us, but it wasn't for their culture that had a relationship between the two of those things. It wasn't hidden. It wouldn't have been difficult for them to understand. In fact, I'm, I'm going to show you the, the first sign that's done by Moses, and I think you're going to conclude that this one is fairly simple to understand too, which means that the lack of trust that Israel has for God is not about misunderstanding or understanding what God was doing. Something else was at play. And I think we're going to find that in the text today. So I want to start by looking at this first sign that God gives to Moses. This is the first one that he's supposed to do. It starts in verse 2. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And Moses replies, A staff. Okay? Now it's about to get fun. Then the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. And the favorite part of verse 3 for me is the end of it, where it says this about Moses, and he ran away. Like, he ran away from it. Um, maybe some of you would understand that. We, it was uh, mid-April. We had some great weather in mid-April, right? So Tracy and I were outside. We were doing some work around the house. And I noticed on our front driveway a little friend that had started sunning itself. So, oh, yeah, it's awesome, right? So I went up. And I took a picture of it, and I dropped the picture of that into our family chat. And the first response I got back was from my daughter-in-law, and I'm going to quote her exactly. E! 
No! That's exactly what she wrote. Followed quickly by one of my sons who threw in the text, kill it. Right? I'm hiding his name. You don't need to know who said that. Right? I'm not killing it. It's a garter snake. This is a snake that eats bugs and insects. It kind of protects you. And I'm sure my wife would maybe feel the same way as my son. She probably would feel that way when you see the next picture because two weeks later, I was standing on our porch and right there, it was sunning itself in a little bit of mulch. It's patrolling our house, right? I feel pretty good about that. It's doing its job. Now, the favorite text that I got in response to this little snake was from my grandson. He saw the picture and he relayed this to his mother you have to run away, (laughs) were his exact words, followed closely by Hezekiah, who said, yes, it eats children. That's helpful, (laughs) right? Thank you, Hezekiah. That's getting a healthy fear of this going on, right? Here's the question I have for you right now. How many of you would say that Liam got it right? If you see something like that, you have to run away. Show of hands, you have to run away. Yeah, okay. There's, a, there's some ones who are like, yeah, see me. Like, they really want you to understand that's how they feel. You and Moses have something in common. Although, Moses has been in the wilderness for 40 years. He probably knows the difference between a snake you should run from and a snake you shouldn't be afraid of. This probably looked like a poisonous snake. And so he's getting out of there. Either way... Moses, and those of you who just raised your hands, are not going to appreciate what happens next. Verse 4, then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. (laughs) No, no, no. There's a no, no, no from the front row. Actually, taking a snake by the tail is not that big of a deal. Now, it is possible, it is possible if you don't move fast enough that the snake could turn and bite you. But if you string it out fast enough, it can't coil, which means it can't strike and you're pretty safe. It's a way you can control the snake. Let me show you what I mean. Yeah! Whoa! Oh! I expected more, honey. <laughs> well, I, I. Oh, wow. She's pan- It's a rubber snake! Okay, it's, it's a rubber snake. I wouldn't bring a real snake into church because churches have a weird history with snakes, right? I don't want to be associated with any of that. What I wanted was some weird reaction from my wife who did this instead. I'm at home when she saw the snake in the driveway. That was not her response. I guarantee you that was not her response. It's okay, we're going to work with this anyway. We're going to find a way to pull this together um, because the reaction that we have to these things called snakes is going to be important 
when you see how this unfolds in the text, there's going to be, um, there's an implication here that somehow Israel has been turned into a snake. Now, um, there's actually three different ways that you could like, come to that looking at the text. They're really fast. I'm going to run them through you real quick. But, but what they mean, once you understand it, is a big deal. Okay? The first way that you could understand that, hey, Israel's been turned into a snake was the word that Moses used when he answered the question that God had, what's in your hand? A staff. It's a Hebrew word, matah. Um, it has three different meanings. One is a staff, this thing of authority that you have that holds your authority. Um, so he used that correctly. But it could also mean a branch, which is quite literally what it is. It's just a branch off of a tree. But the third meaning is really interesting. The third meaning for that word is a tribe. Can you think of anywhere in Exodus chapter 1 where a tribe is thrown to the ground? I think of verse 11. Look at what it says. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They were literally put to the ground. Their job was to take straw, mix it with clay, create bricks that would dry in the sun that could be used for building. That was their job. These people who were once favored by God, who held his authority to represent them, represent God in the world, were now literally in the dirt. That was who they were. It wasn't just that. You'll start to see in Exodus chapter 1 a whole bunch of snake-type language being used. Like, for instance, this is in verse 10. Before they were enslaved, this is how this was talked about. Come, this is Pharaoh, we must deal shrewdly with them. Why? Pharaoh says, Israel is someday going to side with our enemies who come in. He's going to side with them so that they can leave and get out of here. So we have to enslave them. These people are sneaky. They're devious. And so we have to find a way to deal shrewdly with them. Now, if, if you know the scriptures, you're going to know that word shrewd is actually used to describe snakes. In Matthew chapter 10, it's used to do that. But there's also a story closer to this that has a sneaky, devious snake. And all of that language is being used. So Genesis is being reflected here. But this is on Israel. And because they're that way... We have to deal with them shrewdly. It's not just snake language that's being used. There's also the reaction to the snake. This is what it says in the middle of verse 12. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. When you dread something, do you run towards it or away from it? Do you have a positive response to it? You do not. And because they have this sense of dread for Israel, they do this next. Verse 13, right on the heels. 
and, and they work them ruthlessly. Their quotas were difficult and hard. It's not just, I, I would say it goes further than just the work. They treated them ruthlessly. They're killing their babies. Right? How did this happen? How did they go from these people who were so important to God to now this? You see this in the scripture and you wonder what in the world happened to them. And I think you could understand it simply by understanding that they went through a dehumanizing process. The people of Egypt did not look at Israelites as if they were on the same plane. They saw them as less than. And because they saw them as less than, they were able to start treating them terribly. Now, understand, this is not who they are. If you'll remember who they are, this is a great nation who are holding this promise that God made through Abraham that they would be a great nation who would bless the world. That's who they are. But when you come across the text right here and you read Exodus chapter 1, the only thing that you can conclude is these people are despised people. Nobody cares about them. And what's crazy about this is it seems like after hundreds of years of living this way, Israel seems to be fine being looked at as slaves. Because God comes to them with a plan, comes to them with some rescue, and it takes convincing. Like he, he has to convince them to want to do this. And, and there's a problem here. Uh, I, I read this somewhere, I cannot, when I decided to use it, I found it in my notes, and I was like, this is so good, I've got to use it. But I didn't write the rabbi down who said it. It's not original to me. Um, but a rabbi was talking about this, and he said, it's really interesting for human beings that one horrible event has the ability to overshadow a thousand good moments in your life said it's also true that one good event has the ability to overshadow a thousand horrible moments in your life. The difference is what you choose. What you choose to look at, what you choose to focus on, what you choose to see as that saving kind of moment. And Israel has this, has this opportunity because God shows up and is willing to free them, lead them to safety. Offer, like, take my hand, hold on to it, follow me, I'm gonna rescue you from all of this. And it has to be convinced. In fact, if you look at the text, the plagues start and it gets hard and they go to Moses and ask him to dial it down a notch. Like, just, just stop it. They actually make it out of Egypt and want to go back. 
the, the guide that we're going with to Israel, his name's Randy. He has a saying that he uses on the trip a lot. And he said the problem wasn't just that God had to get Israel out of Egypt. He had to get Egypt out of Israel. Like they had started to accept this view of who they were. And they had, they had kind of leaned into it. And what they're doing, I think, um, as I look around the world, I see this kind of going on even now in our own culture. There is a two-part process. There's this dehumanizing thing that we do with each other. Sometimes we allow it to happen to ourselves and then we participate in it because here's the second thing that gets really weird with this is sometimes you embrace that horrible picture of yourself and it becomes the true you to you and you can't figure out a way to get past it. Something happened where you've been dehumanized and then you embrace it. That's the story here. And from what I can tell, this is still going on in our culture. This is a, this is a thing that we practice with each other. We do this. You can see it in big things. These are, these are simple, easy, big things that you can see going on here and around the whole world right now. If you look at the abortion issue in the U.S., the dehumanizing factor takes place when you say, it's not really human, it's just a blob of skin. If it's just a blob of cells, you can do whatever you want with it. And it has to be that because if it's human, you have a different response that you would have to make. It's the same kind of thing that happens around slavery. And if you think slavery is something of the ancient past, it's still going on all around the world where people are enslaved because somebody looks down, thinks less of somebody else, and uses them, sells them like a commodity. Still going on. Uh, sometimes it happens when we treat others like objects. I'm just going to use and abuse you. Get what I want out of you. Y you want to know a big way that's happening right now in our culture? The pornography stuff. People are being told it's not a big deal. It's just consenting adults. It's not a big deal. No harm, no foul. Lots of harm, lots of foul. There are non-Christian groups. These are people who don't know Jesus at all who are begging people to stop using it because of the dehumanizing impact it's having all around the world. It leads to sex trafficking. It leads to all kinds of trafficking. And if you don't think that happens in the U.S., you're not right. The Super Bowl is the number one sex trafficked event in the world right now. Did you know that? Happens in our country. People are transported to that city for that purpose. Treated like objects. This is the kind of stuff that we're capable of doing. I... I think it happens, this is the best way I can describe it, I think we've become a label culture a little bit. Like if, if I get into a discussion with you and I figure out your position, I can just put a label on it so I can write you off. I don't have to think about what you have to say. It, it's not that you have to agree with somebody else. That I don't think is necessary. What's happening is that because I don't agree with somebody else, I don't think the way that I disagree matters. 
I could just shoot them like with my words. I could just take them down. No consequences. It's a dehumanizing thing that we do. Empathy doesn't require you to agree with somebody, but it does require you to have a level of respect with somebody. And right now, we're losing that ability. It dehumanizes another person. You see it in wars and conflicts, all kinds of stuff. Those are big things, but I just want to tell you it happens in small ways too. When you decide to participate in gossip about another person, when you decide to say that thing to somebody that kind of makes them look bad, but you look better, it's a dehumanizing process where you would never have said that to their face or if they were standing there. And yet, this is the kind of stuff that we do with each other. We have this weird thing in our country where we evaluate people based on social status. And we can determine whether somebody is valuable or not valuable based on where they are in the pecking order. It's all dehumanizing. It misses this question. It misses this big question. Does God value that person? Does God value that person? If you want the answer to that question, just answer this. Did Jesus come and die for them too? See, they might not have accepted the work of Jesus in their life yet. But what you can't get past is that there is so much love, so much value for them in God's heart that he has found a way to say, I'm dying for that person too. And because of that, there is a level of elevation that takes place just simply based on how God sees the world. He sees you that way too. He sees you as somebody with value that he loves. It's kind of weird. Israel, who was loved by God, who was honored by God to carry a central role in this world, had embraced the role of snake. They'd, they'd missed their value. They'd not understand how much God loved them. It's why I would tell you what's so important in your life is how and how often you connect with God. It's not a small thing. See, Israel, the story of Israel here is that they walked away from God. And when they walked away from God, they got thrown in the dirt. They got treated like a snake. And they began to accept that story about themselves. The problem was, it wasn't true. And yet we pull away from God. We kind of want to do our own thing sometimes. And then our own desires, our own insecurities, our own goals get in the way. And sometimes they land us in the dirt. And because we're not connected to God, we can't be reminded of who we were always meant to be. And we start to embrace 
the story that somebody is telling us that we are. We embrace the story that we sometimes tell ourselves in the quiet of the night. When that thought races through your brain about who you are and what kind of person you've become. And there's nobody there to interrupt that tape. But here's the truth. Israel had a chance for this one moment that would overshadow a thousand horrible things. And you, my friends, have had that moment too. Because Jesus, out of deep love and compassion for you, created that one moment where he would come and sacrifice out of love for you so that your whole story could be changed. You've had the one moment. The question is, are you going to hold on to that truth, hold on to him and follow, or not? Uh, band, if you could make your way up here, that would be helpful for me. See, here's the truth. God knows you. He knows who he created you to be. He knows when you've been thrown in the dirt. He knows when you've accepted some of those truths about you that aren't. You're in the dirt and now you've become your own worst enemy. But he knows what you're capable of. He knows your capacities. He knows what he created you for in the first place. He has plans that are incredible for your life. But if you don't find a way back to the one person who knows you better than you know yourself, you could stay in the dirt for a long time. See, out of compassion, God was going to grab them by the tail and he was going to lift them up. And out of compassion for you, Jesus already did that for you. When he grabbed us by the tail, he got bit. It cost him his life. But you were given a chance to become the person you were always made to be. If you follow, if you'll go to the source of love, if you'll go to the one who values you, if you'll go to the one who understands you better than you understand yourself, who understands the things that you've been told that aren't true. He wants to rewrite your story. He wants to be central to your story. Will you let him? Or will you struggle with belief like Israel did? Kind of him hawing kind of thinking maybe your view of you is more accurate than what God could possibly see. God sees you. He really sees you. He knows who you were meant to be. Will you trust him? Let me pray with you real quick.
God, we live in a world that would throw us in the dirt in a heartbeat. In fact, I'm convinced there are people who are sitting here this morning that that's their story. They felt like they've been thrown there. But God, it's, it's easy to think that this is all, like when it comes to Israel, this is all Egypt's fault. It's not true. They chose to lay their focus on what they thought they could trust, and that was their own version, their own view of their world. You came to change everything. You came to them, and you've done that for us. And if we would have the courage to follow you, to accept your version of our lives and not ours, one event could overshadow a thousand horrible moments. It could be our story. Savior of the universe rescued us from all the garbage to tell us the truth. We're valued, we're loved, we're known. There's a purpose for our life. God, I ask that we would be open to hearing what the Spirit has to say. God, there are some people who need picked up out of the dirt this morning. And it would make your heart so glad to do that. So I just ask that you would reach the hearts who need to hear from you. Will you pull them up and give them courage to believe and follow you? In Jesus' name, amen.